Well, if you would, please turn in your Bibles to Genesis 18. We'll be in verses 1 through 15. I am Vincent Hoppy. I'm the pastor at Grace and Peace Church. Uh, happy Mother's Day for uh, mothers out there. And thank you so much for your labor and your care for families and the work you put in. And the many days that you never feel like you have time off at all. So thank you. I pray that you feel celebrated, loved, and noticed today. Uh, for those, though, uh, for many of us, or some of us, we, this is a hard time, and it is a sad time. Uh, Mother's Day uh, causes us to relive some of our trauma and to be upset at the things that uh, we wish would have been, the things that could have been, and we're saddened by that. We want to let those of you who struggle through this day to know that you are loved and you are cared for and the Lord does know that, that trauma and that there is healing and that there's hope in Jesus. And those, of, uh, those who may be watching who wish and long to be a mother, the Lord knows those tears. He knows that longing. He knows the tears you shed with open arms and empty arms. He loves you and he cares for you. And I want to say we notice that pain and feel free to tell others and, and cry with us. And so we thank you so much, though, for all the mothers, but we are with those who long to be mothers as well. If you would, please stand for the reading of God's word. We'll be in Genesis 18, and we'll be re reading verses 1 through 15, and hearing about one who longed to be a mother for many years, and how that caused some skepticism and questioning in our heart. And so let us read that together. And the Lord appeared to him, that is Abraham, by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree, while I bring a morsel of bread, that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said to him, Do what you have said. And Abram went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, three seahs of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abram ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and half that he had prepared and set it before them. And he took them under the tree while they ate. And they said to, they said to him, where's your wife, Sarah? And he said, uh, she's in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abram, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I'll return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. 
But Sarah denied it, saying, I didn't laugh, for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Uh, in one of my favorite movies, but uh, probably the one that I quote the most, an adventurous Spaniard swashbuckling man is at the rudder of a boat, and he looks behind him, and he says, do you think anybody could be following us? And then Vicene says, one of the, most things, one of the things I say most in my life is inconceivable. You know, and so Vicene, he's the mastermind as they are taking a kidnapped princess through eel-infested waters. And then again, the swashbuckling Spaniard Inigo looks behind them and, and Vicene demands, stop doing that. We can all relax. It's almost over. To which the Spaniard Inigo replies, you sure nobody's following us? As I told you, it would be absolutely, totally, and in all other ways, inconceivable. Nobody in Gilder knows what we have done, and, nobody, and no one in Florin is fast enough to get here on time. Out of curiosity, why do you ask? No reason. Suddenly, I, look, I just happen to look behind us, and something is there. And what happens, though, out of this, is this, uh, um, the, you know, he, he, he says, Vicene says, it's probably a local fisherman out for a cruise through eel-infested waters. The movie goes on to a chase where the three hired criminals who kidnapped a princess are trying to escape with her from the dread pirate Roberts. All this culminates with one of the greatest lines in cinematic history. After they cut the rope and they think that the dread pirate Roberts has fallen to his death, Fezzik looks over the edge and he says, He's got good arms. And to which Vicene walks over. He didn't fall? Inconceivable. And Inigo looks over at Vicene and he says, You keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. In a similar fashion, I think sometimes Sarah, in her brain, she was thinking, she's looking at this and all the promises of God. And everything that she looks at in front of her and she says and looks at their used up bodies and says, have a child inconceivable. Yes, I know that's a pun. OK, and you're like, now Vince is throwing puns and jokes all of a sudden into his sermons. Uh, if you know me, there's lots of jokes and puns in my sermon. So, but if you would have told me 12 months ago that we'd be live streaming for like, you know, two full months by now, I would have told you that was a joke and that was inconceivable. But here we are. But Sarah is in the family of faith. Her entire household has been taken, uh, has taken on the sign of God's promise and relationship with them in circumcision. But she has doubts. Have a child inconceivable. All the data, all the science has her seeing not with eyes of faith, but with skepticism. She's probably, and with good reason, feeling pretty discouraged by now. But God shows up. Grace comes to her neighborhood and challenges her way of believing in her reasoning over God's promises. She's challenged with believing her faith or believing her fears. Believing her faith or believing her fears. Believing in all other possibilities or believing in God of the impossible. This is an episode of hope, an episode of light and of faith. 
in contrast to what we will read later in chapter 19, a chapter of darkness and unbelief in the episode of Sodom and Gomorrah. Many of us have looked on our lives and haven't seen God come through recently, right? And we wonder if he's ever going to come through. And so we're discouraged. We have doubts like Sarah. And we keep them to ourselves. We hide in silence. We're just going through the motions. We're jaded, hurt, we're fearful. We fear that God will not come through. He will not help us in our anxiety while we wrestle. And the anxiety we wrestle with at work. The anxiety we wrestle with at school, with our marriages, with our parents, with our siblings, with our stinking cars, with our homes, with our bills, and with our kids. Is he going to come through? We worry that our spouses will never change. Our kids will never follow the Lord. We worry that we will never be able to be lovable, that we're doomed to singleness forever. And of course, of course we should, because all the data points point to that. It points to the fact that we're hopeless, helpless, thankless, that we're unnoticed, unchosen, unloved, uncared for. You know, for things to go another way, it would take an impossible act of God. For all the sad things to come untrue, for the hope of new life, a resurrection, a new creation, it would absolutely have to be impossible. It's a Sarah, a new life, a new creation, would be absolutely, totally, and all, in all other ways, inconceivable for her. But this, in story, this, instructs, in, this story instructs listeners that when God shows up, we must, when God shows up, when grace shows up at our door, we must encourage hospitable receiving, acknowledge our silent skepticism, and embrace gracious confrontation. Encourage hospitable receiving, acknowledge our silent skepticism, and embrace gracious confrontation. And what we'll find in the end is that, the, that God makes the impossible possible. He makes life come through death because just as Wesley, the dread pirate Roberts says, death cannot stop true love. It can only delay it for a while. And so we need to encourage first in hospitable receiving. Our story here is to be read in conjunction and against the backdrop of rejection and unbelief of chapter 19 with Sodom and Gomorrah. Scripture will commend Abraham for his hospitality and he will tell us to be like Abraham and to follow his example in the way that he receives strangers and new people. It says in Matthew 25, 35, Jesus himself is stating, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. Hebrews 13, 2 says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. It is in hospitality, receiving others, we demonstrate faith. We demonstrate what it's like to be like Abraham. When the Lord God shows up in your tent, what are you going to do? You demonstrate faith in that Lord God by receiving others. So Abraham's faith was instinctual though, and it's instructional. Notice that he's caught off guard, but what comes out? God shows up, 
I'm going to show hospitality. He's going to treat him like a king. He's just chilling by the flap of his tent. I say flap of a tent because I don't know many tents that actually have a door unless you're living your best millennial life now and you're glamping in the middle of nowhere going to a yurt that ends up having a, you know, a door. But this is a tent and there's no mattock, so it's a flap, okay? So it's a flap. So it's in the heat of the day. And he addresses one of them as Lord, as the covenant-making, covenant-keeping God, the one upon whom all the promises of the world, the promise of everything being made new, hangs upon, the one in whom life will come out of death. But Abraham, he must be faithful to live up to his part if they're going to conceive a child. Notice the manner in which he treats his visitors, though. He runs out to meet them. He bows himself to the earth. He gets all his household, including himself, into humble service of the Lord. And it's in rapid succession, one after the another, the scriptures say. He gets fine flour to make bread, even though there was too little time to let it rise, echoing another time of God's presence in which the people would hastily make bread with no time to rise. It would echo the Passover. And so he's, he has this freeing grace, though, upon them. And so he washes their feet, prepares a feast. Abraham stands at the ready to serve them, and as which was custom for the visiting for visiting guests of great importance. So Abraham lowers himself to the place of service. He makes himself a humble servant for the Lord. When grace visits our door, we're encouraged to be hospitable receivers, receivers of a king. We're not to act as if God is coming to our house to enter our life program and make our kingdom larger. No, we are kings under him. We are in service to him. He is the great king. He's not coming to our house because he owes us. And he's not coming based on your moral performance or anything that he owes you or me. Rather, the only thing that he owes you or me is judgment and condemnation. If it was based on my moral performance, I would be condemned. But it's based on Jesus' record for me and for you that he comes into our neighborhoods, he comes into our lives, and we are not consumed, but we could be his host. And so the Lord, what we see here through this, he is, the Lord is king. The Lord is a ruler. The Lord is not your homeboy. The Lord is not your boyfriend. The Lord is not your receptionist, nor your personal assistant. The Lord is not your personal genie. The Lord is not your kid. The Lord is not your spouse. The Lord is not your Facebook friend. The Lord is not an Instagram follower, nor is he your Strava buddy giving you kudos when he comes to your house. No, the Lord is the maker of heaven and earth, the firstborn heir over all creation, the first fruits of the resurrection, the light unto the nations, the healer of nations, the true doctor for every sickness and hurt, the judge and justifier of the elect, the suffering servant to his people, the one who will cause justice and mercy to roll down like mighty waters, the one who comes with might, the one who rules with a powerful arm and before him is reward and recompense, and out of his mouth comes a mighty sword to slay his enemies. He is light of light. He is the only son of God, begotten of the Father before all ages, God of God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made from the same essence of the Father. Through him all things were made for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven. He is the Lord. He is not an assistant. 
So things, he may not answer your prayers the way you desire him to be. We receive him as needy, humble servants with empty hands. So therefore, it's not the self-important who receive him. It is not those who demand praise. It's not those who demand to be recognized. It's not the proud. It's not those who think they deserve something from the Lord. No. If you have an agenda for God, when he shows up to your house, uh, you will not like him and you will be greatly disappointed. Remember, it is the prayer of the Christian heart is his kingdom come and his will be done. Not my kingdom, not my will. And when we attune our hearts and desires to him, then we will find all the sad things coming untrue. The son of man, it says, came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And he tells his disciples, as I have done for you, do for others. And so we echo and we follow in the ways of the Lord by being humble, hospitable receivers of his grace and presence. And we demonstrate that in our faith by loving others, caring for others, as our Lord and King does, that through it, his kingdom may come and not ours. But we also need to acknowledge our silent skepticism. As Abraham served outside, Sarah uh, stood seething by the flap of the tent listening in. Upon hearing the promise of God, it would come true that this next year she would have a son. Sarah's doubt, her skepticism rises up into her. She gets sweaty palms, she starts to choke, and she starts to think, oh my gosh, what in the world He's saying this again. How in the world is this going to happen? Her inaudible dialogue, her internal dialogue becomes audible and the narrator writes it. And this here is disbelief, this skepticism. This is the disbelief and skepticism that keep Abraham and Sarah from seeing God's plan unfold. Because in her eyes, to have a child now that they were old was inconceivable. The Lord, he, he had plans here when he shows up and it was to expose and to bring to light that which was hidden to give a voice to that which was unvoiced and we hear Sarah's doubt and he hears your skepticism now and he hears your fears he hears how you're feeling Sarah had good reason to be skeptical she was old. It says in the text that she was advanced in years and the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. It's like saying uh, she was old, old, like old is what she was saying, okay? And so the narrator gets us into it. And Abraham too was old. And it was, they were so past the point that it would have to take, it, it's impossible. It would have to take the God making a way through the impossible for this to happen. And that's exactly what he had plans to do. So much so that Sarah, nearing the point of derogatory imagery, she says, after all these years, am I to have pleasure or sexual pleasure? That like, she's saying, yeah, right. After all these years, are you kidding me? Scientifically. You and I know after all this, it was impossible to have children. She sounds much like a modern person. 
Sarah is just giving voice to this. You see, they were just like you and me, modern scientific people, knowing that what is, uh, this is only, only what is natural is actually possible. What we can actually see, touch, feel, taste, and measure is actually possible. But God is, doesn't work that way. He has a new data set for us. Therefore, when Isaac is born in a year, they would rightly attribute it to the supernatural work of the Lord. It's what we would call a miracle. A miracle, by definition, goes against scientific evidence and reasoning. It is hence supernatural because it isn't within the natural world. And everyone knows this. And so if you're a Christian, you don't have a smaller brain or you're less capable because you believe in miracles because God can do that. No, actually, you have expanded your imagination and belief outside of what you could just see. And you have a greater mind because you could actually think beyond the four walls or the five senses. You have lived and thought with, a world, uh, with, with the roof off. Don't cap your thinking. If you sit there with lots of skepticism, take the roof off. Let the rain fall on you. Allow it to mess with you. And that's what God does. He shows up, opens the roof on Sarah's thinking, and it, shows, and, and it addresses her, um, her skepticism. But Sarah, she is skeptical, skeptical of herself and her ability as well. She's skeptical of Abraham's ability and also of God's promise. And with good reason, look at the evidence. God wants her to look, though, for a broader data set. As others have said, under, underneath every cynic is a disappointed idealist. And a lot of our skepticism comes from the fact that many of us were idealists. We were hopeful that we were going to change the world, that our spouses would change, our children would grow up and be wonderful angels, but in the end, they weren't. That high school wasn't as grand as, it w as we had planned it to be, nor was college. We're not making lots of money, so what's going on, God? There are many things that cause us to lose heart, to be discouraged, to doubt what God is going that to doubt that God is going to come through, that God will make his kingdom and promise actually happen through all this mess. So what internal dialogue is troubling you? When you hear that God is going to make all things new, that he's going to wipe every tear uh, from, uh, from our eyes to return beauty for ashes, what doubting dialogue comes up when you hear that? Maybe it's I don't know if my spouse is ever going to change. I don't know if my sin is ever going to be overcome. Maybe we start to think it's always going to dominate me. Will I always be haunted by my past? Will the economy bounce back? Will I retire? How am I going to pay for this? Another week in isolation? It's not like my friends cared for me anyway. I'm not able to do that. Look at another story in the news. It's just that again. Look, there's another idiot on Twitter. Or maybe it's another black man being killed. And with the sad news about, of Ahmaud Aubrey coming out this week, you wonder about the clouds of doubt that had been cast over the black community for the past years. The community that's hoping for equality, uh, one that'd be noticed, the one that would have an equal share in this place. And it seems like every few months there are plenty of reason to grow weary in doubt. The, the community must wonder, will we ever get to escape that suspicion, hate, and racism of others? 
the hope to be rescued and to enjoy dignity and freedom of being human, to be seen as one who shares the image of God. At times, it probably seems just like a pipe dream. Really far. Nearing, the, nearing his death, Martin Luther King Jr. said, Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop and I don't mind. Like any man, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will, and he's allowed me to go up to the mountain, and I've looked over, and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we, as a people, will get to the promised land, and I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming Lord. In the face of Jesus, we see the one who was unjustly murdered. And we can all have hope. Because injustice didn't win, but the resurrection did. Doubts and skepticism of the community will come out and we will lament over the sadness, but it has allowed the issues to be brought out into the open, that the unvoiced feelings are voiced, and it is in the national story again that we may talk about this. In this way, then, hope and true powerful healing of the gospel may with surgical precision be applied to the deepest wounds that we have. But if they remain silent, undiagnosed, then they will root into bitterness and will poison everything. You see, God is inviting you to voice your doubts, to speak up about your skepticism that you may have about your life in this world and the relationships. And by doing that, we can have agency. We can apply the gospel hope. We can meet fear with the faith in the Lord Jesus there can actually be healing for the wounds and trauma that we've had. And the wounds and the trauma that you've experienced could be met with the hope of healing in Jesus Christ. And so what do we do now is we must embrace gracious confrontation. Is anything too hard for the Lord? It is a confrontational rhetorical rebuke almost to Sarah. And whenever anyone asks you rhetorical, conver uh, rhetorical questions, you know it's a confrontation. When your spouse or your parent asks you a rhetorical question into which they know the answer and you know the answer, you know what they're getting at. What they're not wanting is an answer. What they want is a response in faith to the problem. And so God is confronting Sarah. He sees into her internal dialogue, into her heart. He doesn't run away he comes forward and confronts her and says, no, but you did laugh. All of that internal dialogue, doubt and skepticism you have for yourself, for others, and for God comes out and will be laid bare. But here's the good news. He knows it, and he confronts it with the truth about himself. God comes to confront our doubts, our sins, our past, our present, 
our circumstances, our fears, and our hurt. He confronts it with himself. And he asks, is it too hard for the Lord to handle? Is it really impossible? Is it really impossible for the Lord to handle your past? Is it really impossible for the Lord to deal with your sins? Is it really impossible for God that he can't handle your sexual addiction? Can God not handle your abusive situation? Can he not handle the abusive seeds that are in your heart that if they took root and they sprouted, you would hurt so many? Can he not handle your isolation? Can he not handle your loneliness? Can he not handle your lifelong disappointment? Can he not handle your wayward children? God rhetorically asks you this. You know he can. You know he can. We know how the story ends, though, with Sarah. It is not her slipping off into skepticism. No, she actively moves forward in faith, and guess what? They conceive a child. Hebrews 11, 11 says, By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age. She considered him, the Lord, the one who showed up in her yard and by her tent, considered him who's faithful, who had promised. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Jeremiah 32, 17 responds with, Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Can he handle it? Yes. Bring it out into the light. He confronts you. And what you'll see is you'll watch him. You'll see him, the one who made the light shine in the darkness by the power of the word. You'll see him who made the land by separating the waters. You'll see him who destroys armies by the breath of his mouth. You'll see him who gives freedom from slavery. You'll see him who saves wayward sinners. You'll see him who returns beauty for ashes, who makes the crooked paths straight, who returns the years that the locusts have stolen for bounty. You'll see him who gives widows a home and an orphan a fa- orphans a family, who refreshes a parched and weary land, who makes sinners righteous, who turns mourning into joy, turns sadness into singing, and brings life out of death. And how do we know it's true and we could trust him? It's because he confronts us at the cross and there you see your sin right you see that it could put to death everything and it will turn it into darkness but then on the third day it could not keep him down no oh no we see that the Lord walked out of the grave and we see life come out of death and so how do we know his promises come true it's because Jesus is alive How do we see love so clearly so that we can, who are are so unlovable at times and we feel unlovable, can know that we are loved, look at the cross and rejoice in the resurrection. You see at the pain of Jesus' death, it is made bearable by his love for you. And it is as Wesley, the dread pirate Roberts, he says, Death cannot stop love. 
and can only delay it for a while. I have a child who got a splinter recently, and that splinter she has, she hides it every time I come near and hides it. You see, the thing is, is the longer that splinter remains in her hand, she'll not have healing from it. That splinter is a wound, just like the trauma we all feel. It's like the skepticism and doubt that, we, that go unvoiced. And without voicing it, without asking for help, without the precision of God working in your life and the gospel being applied and the spirit working with surgical precision to take out that which could ruin you, it becomes infectious. And it'll pus and soar. But when we are confronted by the Lord and we say, can you help us? We hold out our hand and we allow the wounds of Jesus to be the healing we need for our wounds that we can have total healing in our person. And that splinter could be pushed out. And we could be made whole again. Sarah thought it was inconceivable and impossible. But the Lord confronts her. And he says, is anything too hard for the Lord? In much of your life right now, we need to ask, Is anything too hard for him? And we'll see. Nah, God's got this. Let us pray. Our gracious and loving God, we pray that you would work mightily in our lives, that we would not be overcome by fear and doubt, but that we would overcome that fear and doubt with faith, not in ourselves, not in the strength of our faith, but in faith of the Lord, the one in whom nothing is too hard. Lord, I pray that we confess that maybe at times we don't get what we want and we're upset and we're jaded. But Lord, I pray that our desires would be thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Lord, help us to be people of your kingdom, longing and looking for your return and your restoration of all things. And I pray that we would see little ways in which life comes out of death, new creation, out of destruction. Lord, be with us now. Help us to praise, worship, and honor you. In Christ's name, amen.